Newly Eberty is the art and state of being a woman, and I think that should be celebrated. My name is Michelle Lyons. Welcome to the Celebrate Newly Eberty podcast. Just a reminder, this podcast is for information only and not a substitute for consulting a healthcare professional. Hope you enjoy the show. Those are the magic words, recording in progress. Then we know the internet gods are with us. Hello, everybody. (laughs) It's always a little bit nerve wracking because you never know what the Wi-Fi is going to do. I am really, really pleased to have a special guest on the podcast for this episode. I am delighted to welcome Noah Goodman, who is going to talk to us about trauma, therapeutic alliance, pelvic pain, all the all the things. And we're going to pull it all together. Noah, before I um, we get started with this, I was trying to figure out how long ago it is that we actually met. I think you had just finished or you were finishing your physio degree. Yeah, I w- right. It must have been around seven years ago. So I oh. was one of those people I came to PT later in life. I started PT school at the age of 40 and uh, I knew that I wanted to do pelvic PT coming into it. Uh, and so I actually completed the Herman Wallace series while I was in school and you happened to be my, one of my instructors, fabulous instructors during that Herman and Wallace 2A class along with, uh, Dr. Holly Tanner. That's right. Gosh, that's, that is, that is quite a while ago. So you've been on quite a journey since then. We reconnected at CSM in San Diego earlier this year. And you're doing all sorts of cool things. So where are you working now? What are you doing? Um, I am working at, uh, I'm in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I work for UPMC, which is a huge hospital hospital system um, in Western Pennsylvania. And I am part of the pelvic health team there. Um, There's a large group of us. um, And my clinic is in Squirrel Hill, Uh, very close to where I live. I am so fortunate to actually serve the community that I live in. That's amazing. Um, It must be it must be very gratifying to be able to kind of, you know, almost see the changes that you're making in the world. What's your patient load like? What sort of patient uh, diagnoses are you treating? I see um, all types of people. I am I have uh, any everyone from you know, the physicians and surgeons who work in the hospital systems um, to the students who they see. Um, And so I have highly like overeducated people. um, And I am so grateful that I've gained the trust of so many other communities here in Pittsburgh uh, through the disability advocacy groups through, um, you know, word of mouth, I've gained trust. I've built up a program for uh, specifically people who are undergoing gender affirming surgeries. So pre and post-op care for top surgeries and bottom surgeries. Uh, that includes gender affirming hysterectomies. People have to go out of the city. We don't have anyone who does vaginoplasties here or phalloplasties here, but I do see people pre and post-op um, and then a lot of pelvic pain, a lot of chronic pelvic pain. I work very closely with the urogynecologists who are amazing here. Um, they're just uh, such a special group of humans. Um, 
and endometriosis. Uh, a lot of people who um, are going through um, have had or will be having uh, laparoscopic surgery. Um, so, um, of course, there's I keep, treat all genders, including men. So I also have my post-prostatectomy um, group um, who are also incredible. And then oncology. So all the pelvic cancers, um, uh, head, neck, uh, cancer, and uh, breast cancer. Wow. So never boring. Good variety <laughs> no. there. <laughs> no, I, I learn so much from each person that I meet. Uh, it's really, it really is a collaborative approach to care, which is why I knew I wanted to do what I do, because there isn't one right answer. There never can be. Do you think that that level of wisdom and insight comes from the fact that you had a life before you became a PT? I think that the level of insight, um, it, it helps that mm. I had had some life experience. Yeah. I don't think that uh, I do. I do have just like I have faith in all human bodies. I also have faith in all human brains. And I think that a lot of these skills can be learned. Yeah. Uh, so learning how to, you know, we always talk about this biopsychosocial approach. And what is the, we, we're, we're pretty well trained in uh, the bio part, though, you know, yeah. there's, of course, um, room for improvement, as you know, uh, very well with regard to people assigned female at birth, people who do not fit into the cis male category. Um, but uh, there's also um, understanding that psychosocial uh, approach is huge. And I do think that it can be taught, it can be learned. Yeah, I think though, I think possibly though, yes, I agree, it can be learned. But I do think there's a certain there's a certain benefit to having some life experience as well, you know, um, because everything is less black and white. And I think maybe as we move through the world, we're more inclined to appreciate the shades of grey, 50 or otherwise, um, that we have that we will come across. <laughs> and and I really I think that's I would love to see more mature students coming into our world because I really think there's so much to offer. You know, that diversity of experience can really help serve the diversity of patients that we're going to be yeah. working with. Yeah, absolutely. We need more diversity in age, in race, in mm -hmm. uh, gender identities. Uh, you know, we need we need more diversity in general in, and in religion. I'll, I'll add that in. Absolutely. Um, so um, we need more diversity in, in all of physical therapy, in pelvic physical therapy, absolutely, because it is such an intimate relationship mm. that with boundaries that you are, um, that you're, you're forming with your patients. A hundred percent. And I think that's really, um, really valid what you said about religion as well, because the effect of, of social and cultural mores on on just the ability to have an informed conversation about certain pelvic health topics and how to approach that in a very respectful way, I think is very important if we are going to establish what I really wanted to talk to you about today, which is the importance of a good therapeutic alliance, um, particularly when you're working through a trauma-informed lens. Because I came across an article that you were featured in a little while ago, um, 
and it was about trauma-informed uh, healthcare, I would say generally, but particularly from a pelvic health perspective. And you wrote so eloquently, well, you're quoted very eloquently in the article about um, just about why a therapeutic alliance is important, particularly when we're, we're working with people, with human beings who have pelvic pain. So I wonder if you could just kind of share your thoughts about that, about why, what it is and why it matters. Sure. Uh, so um, I'll see where I can start. Um, so in terms of creating that therapeutic alliance, it starts with safety, the sense of safety, right? And as you are an expert in, in terms of the nervous system, um, if we don't create that sense of safety, then um, the, we're not going to have, uh, we're not giving good care, right? Mm -hmm. um, people are, we're not going to have optimal healing results if that safety is not established. And so that is really the foundation in a lot of ways to all of those six other principles of trauma-informed care. So you have the recognizing the widespread uh, prevalence of trauma and, you know, learning how to find, you know, screen for those symptoms and trying not to, best we can, re-traumatize people. We're, we're trying not to cause harm. Um, and creating that sense of safety is really that that primary place uh and how do we do that well we offer choices we, we also come at it with understanding our who we are authentically um and understanding our place in society so as you just mentioned uh where we are in terms of our culture in terms of our privileges in terms of systems of oppression that may affect our patients how those systems overlap in the sense of intersectionality and, you know, have specific, how our patients come in with specific oppressions um, placed upon them by society and the challenges that each patient may have. Now, every, we know that in terms of the widespread prevalence of trauma, you know, anyone can have trauma. And it doesn't have to be physical. It can also be emotional. It can also be spiritual. And I am of the um, frame of mind that it is just like we're screening for cardiovascular disease, just like we're screening for, um, you know, uh, we do as a pelvic therapist, we're looking for wounds. Um, I'm not a, a, you know, cardiologist. I, I don't do dermatological care, but I do know how to refer out. And so the same goes for trauma. I know that we're going to get, I, I, my scope of practice ends somewhere and everyone deserves to have that aspect of their um, health, that mental health taken care of. And we know that by addressing that just is is going to help this person in a much more holistic way um and that so in terms of recognizing i think the quote i don't remember for sure but it was uh, along the lines of uh, they're not on my journey i'm on theirs um and realizing that i'm you know when someone comes into the room um you've met me in person um but i'm i'm not a physically threatening human according to most people but I do recognize that I am the person with power in the room and by offering choices, lights on, lights off, where would you like to sit? 
um, using a specific approach to taking blood pressure, if that is even appropriate for everyone, understanding that a cuff is a restrictive device and that maybe it's not appropriate to do that right away. Um, learning how to read that body language. Someone's you know, coming in with pelvic pain. They're gonna notice that they can sit. If they can't sit, then how are they gonna be able to have a good conversation with you? How are you going to listen um, and start putting those puzzle pieces together if the person is sitting there in physical pain? Um, so again, removing, uh, so take, so taking away some of that power in the um, in the clinic and handing it over to the person in front of you to create an individualized plan of care. I think that's those are really really important points, and I I almost feel like the first step in that is for us as healthcare providers to make sure that we're coming into that space with our own well regulated nervous system that we are in a very, you know, we're, we're calm, we are not rushing, we're not distracted, because this person that we're going in to see, they may be our sixth appointment of the day. But for that mm -hmm. person, it's probably their first pelvic health appointment, possibly of their lives. And so, you know, we really need to be fully present and confident, as well as competent, in the you know in our approach to to helping people with this what are your what are your go-to strategies for regulating your own nervous system you know just before you go in to, to see somebody or when you're having a busy day and maybe you're under a little bit of pressure time wise and you're going from one patient directly into the next how do you come back to center and just kind of take a breath and just sit deep in the saddle so you can go in with you know like fresh fresh eyes into the next situation yeah, I, I, so I was, you know, because I'm a, a planner, I try to have as much control as I possibly can of the uncontrollable. I actually took a course with the lovely Carolyn McManus and uh, to learn a little bit more about mindfulness and as a, as a provider, um, you've mentioned in the past, you know, just washing your hands in between patients. I actually, um, I usually have a cup of tea and I will close my eyes and drink some warm tea and just immerse myself in that moment very often um, between patients throughout the day. Uh, I tell my um, supervisor that having the, you know, we have a, a water whatever water container I'm sure there's a better word for it than where you can just automatically get hot water and I, I that's just the hugest gift in the world it's just the, having having access to hot water all the time is amazing um so that is one way um I do uh, I, I do also gain calm from doing a few breaths with my patients. Mm -hmm. You know, we there is such an emphasis on breathing and regulating their central nervous system that I will do a few breaths too. And it's a it's not a me all about me kind of moment. It's a shared moment. And so I do benefit from that and that that does self-regulate and also co-regulates. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. I mean, I think you know what's lovely about that is those are some really concrete tips that people can take instead of taking from this abstract 
yes, you need to have a calm, regulated nervous system. You know, you've just perfectly encapsulated. Yes, but here's how you do it. And I think, you know, that sort of practical approach is so important. How do you feel trauma relates to pelvic pain and, and back and forth? I mean, you know, do you feel... Do you feel that we can provide effective care for people who've been living with persistent pelvic pain if we're not bringing some awareness to the trauma? You know, like I'm I'm really trying to steer conversations in general that I'm having in the world away from a trigger point in the left obturator internus towards maybe looking at more central mechanisms as well. Like remember that there is a person attached to that vagina or anus or whatever orifice we're working mm -hmm. in. Um mm -hmm. And, you know, what's your perspective on that? How do you integrate the bio with the psychosocial, especially when you're working with somebody who's coming to see you for physical therapy and they're expecting very much a bio approach and you're bringing your blend of really putting, I feel, I feel like what you, you tend to do is put the psychosocial front and center and have that connection with the person before you go anywhere near their left obturator internus so how do you explain that to the person you know that connection between body and mind particularly the the pelvis i so it really there isn't a one size fits all and as I'll, i will quote you again it's an n of one right <laughs> um so the there may be someone who's in front of me who I, uh, you know, I, very, very often, I am the first person who asks them if they've had a history of trauma. Mm. And the way that I ask it is, um, I first of all, normalize it. I, and I will, I'll use the plicit approach where I ask permission before asking the question. Uh, and I open the door and I say, is there any history of anyone touching you without your consent? any history of sexual trauma for you as a child, adolescent, or as an adult. And I've changed that language through practice. Um, and especially, I, I will tell you that my folks who I've worked with after prostate surgery, I asked them how many other people have asked this, them this question, and I have gotten a total of zero so far. Wow. Um, and it's you know it, again it's we're we can if we're not um being consistent and and screening every single person then we're letting our implicit biases affect our actions and not mm -hmm. everyone's getting good care so um making sure that you know whatever we do that day is not re-traumatizing and acknowledges the whole person in front of you so there are people who come in and they want their obturator internist checked that day and that is so important to them yes and it is a conversation to be had if someone comes in um i will very clearly you know explain what's going to happen where i'm going to be standing um what things should feel like, how nothing should ever hurt. You're always welcome to have a second person in the room over the age of 18, whether that's a friend, a partner, or anyone else. I talk about dissociation. I say, if you are unable to consent and you're not with me, then everything stops. Um, I also will 
you know, I'll, I, again, I, I make it very clear with the expectation. I'll also tell them how much time I will be there. So if it's, uh, you know, very often um, people will get nervous and they'll say, you know, they think that I'm going to be inside them for an hour. And I'll say, it's actually about 90 seconds that we'll be doing this, but I'm going to be moving really slowly. I'm going to be doing this with you and I'm following your breath. You're always in control. Um, so that may or may not happen on the first visit. I really, again, depends on the person and very often for people who have histories of pelvic pain, we know that a huge number of them also have histories of trauma and childhood sexual trauma. So realizing that I, again, my scope of practice ends somewhere and that I need to make sure that I have a collaborator outside of my room so that my patient can process those feelings safely. Um, and I also ask for feedback, you know, mm. in the moment, at the end of the visit, at the beginning of the following visit, so that we can always tailor treatment to that person to make sure that we're on the right path together. I love it. No, I'm just going to go back a little bit to something that you mentioned. You said you follow the Plicit me um, methodology. I wonder if you could just elaborate on that for folks who are not familiar with that. Sure. Um, I'm sure I'm not going to do it justice, but I'll do, I'll, <laughs> um, so. She probably will, everybody. She probably will. <laughs> well, I, I'm just going to say that it really started in sex therapy. Um, it, that's where, where it started. And um, it really is starting about, you, P is like the permission, asking permission to like even ask a question. So are you okay with me uh, asking about bowel history, right? That may feel sound like a little bit out of left field. And well, I'm gonna give limited information. Mm -hmm. Well, the limited information is we know that there is a correlation between pelvic pain and, uh, and, and uh, bowel uh, and constipation, for example, or however you and bowel dysfunction. And so then from there, you can offer information, right? So what kind of information do you feel like would be helpful? And then, you know, at the very end, it's you're going to offer, if if you see that it's kind of, okay, we need to offer more specialized services. That's where it's like, oh, I have this amazing GI doctor. I have this amazing this, that, and the other. And then whatever I do have, what, what is in my scope of practice? Well, I can offer, I have my handout on fiber. A lot of people think they're getting a lot of fiber, but when you actually add it up um, with them, gram by gram by gram, um, they're getting five to 10 grams of fiber. And so, um, you know, so th they, they may benefit from that information, giving them a bowel diary. I have my little chart that goes through, okay, um, I educate maybe on, you know, mouth to anus. How long does that actually take? People have an idea that as soon as I eat something and I have pain in my lower abdomen, it must be because of the thing that I just ate rather than maybe some emotional things that might be going on or some psychological things or chemical things that might be going on already. So that's a long answer. Um, and I, hopefully I did it just justice. I think you did it, did it more than justice, um, as I knew you would. Um, I want to just switch just directions just ever so slightly. 
because you mentioned that you work a lot with people who are going through gender affirming surgeries. And something that just kind of popped into my head when you said that, you know, particularly people who are going through hysterectomy. Um, how are those people's healthcare needs post hysterectomy that we might be thinking about from a purely kind of cis female perspective in terms of bone health, heart health? you know, obviously the pelvic health changes, the brain health changes. Are people who are going through gender affirming hysterectomies getting good care in your experience? Short answer is no. <laughs> I, I, I think that um, every single person, you know, who, who goes through gender affirming care um, has worked really hard to get to that point. Uh, on a psychological level, on a physical level, on an economic financial level, people have their in the United States their GoFundMe pages mm -hmm. where you know they are using all of their savings to go through a lot of these surgeries. Um, and for the people who go into it already having pelvic pain, maybe not having been screened for endometriosis maybe having trauma and being and dissociating from that part of their body for either reasons, you know, due to trauma, maybe that's not a part of their body they identify with. Um, and yes, I think that uh, those, and then on top of it, for a lot of these folks, they are taking gender affirming testosterone. Um, and how does that impact their genitals and their hormones. Um, I think that it is, there are some unique aspects to it. If the um, erectile tissue has increased on the outside, it has increased on the inside as well. So how does that affect pleasure? Is there any pain when there is arousal? Is there enough space for that internal erectile tissue or is there pressure there that wasn't there before? Um, there are a lot of questions in terms of how that may affect the actual microbiome of that mm -hmm. frontal canal. And I'm intentionally using, uh, you know, gender neutral language. Um, and that's one of, again, one of the first things I do with my patients, again, we're starting day one is coming up with common language so that I am using the pronouns that I'm supposed to be using and I'm mirroring the language that the patient uses for their own body. And sometimes they haven't even come up with that language themselves. Um, so <laughs> one, one amazing human, um, the area between the um, anus and the, uh, the genitals, it's called the crater. <laughs> and so <laughs> we just call it a crater. Uh, and I love it. So works great. for them. It's yeah. It's appropriate. It's a crater and the crater will soon be filled with a frontal canal. I love it. I mean, yeah, but that, that just, that sums it up, doesn't it? It's just, you know, respecting people enough to ask them what they prefer, you know, mm -hmm. the language that they would like. And then instead of, you know, I suppose in the past we've been used uh, to this kind of almost paternalistic, you know, power differential type of relationship in the, the medical and surgical community. And I just think this is such a refreshing approach to actually, instead of I'm up here and you're down here because I'm the expert, 
and you are the patient. It's like, well, okay, let's walk along this path together. You tell me what you need, what you want, what you prefer, and I'm going to do my best to help you. And it's literally exactly. as simple as that, isn't it? Exactly, exactly. It's, and I make it clear, you know, I am cisgender. I um, am living in white skin. I cannot, I don't know your lived experience. And I, you are the expert on your lived experience. You are the expert. I want you to be the expert on your body. And um, let's figure this out together so that I can offer what I can offer. And then please share what you're experiencing so that so that ultimately you walk out that door um, feeling better walking out than you did coming in each time. Yeah. So it's about just coming to that situation, isn't it? With like a, a respectful curiosity about, you know, what, you know, is is it okay to ask you these questions, first of all? And and again, so it's it's a lot of this kind of ties back into what we started talking about, that sense of safety, you know, um both both Stephen Porges and Bessel van der Kolk have written a lot about this, haven't they? Just within the therapeutic alliance that we create a sense of safety, but also boundaries. So you're giving the person choice, as you said, you know, we, we can do this or we can do this, but you're also giving them context for why you're doing what you're doing you're explaining it but all of this is kind of on built on this foundation of connection with another human you know just we're, we're all just doing the best we can you know out here in the world um, and as Ramda said you know we're all just walking each other home at the end of the day and if you have the skills to make that journey a little bit easier and ideally more pleasant for people mm-hmm. um, then I think you know we're we sleep easier at the end of the day, kind of bringing that level of awareness um, to to what we do all day, every day. It's not just a job, is it, what we do? No, it's not. It's not. We're, we're really changing people's lives. Yeah. I mean, we really do have the opportunity, um, you know, changing people's lives and hopefully all for the better. Um, and yeah, I, I really do think that this paternalistic approach to care needs to improve. I mean, when it comes to informed consent, people sign their name on the dotted line. Um, But even after like any type of hysterectomy, you ask most people, uh, I'm going to use the anatomical term that you might find in in a uh, medical textbook, but where does your vagina go? Does it just hang in space? Well, where is it being tied to? And kind of going through the different ligaments, depending on if they've had prolapse repair or, or not, um, because people people don't know they, they 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 again they're signing on this dotted line. Same thing with radiation. Same thing with yeah. mastectomy, but they don't actually know what is happening when they're out, um, and may not understand why they're having, for example, with uh, radiation. Well, why am I having pain after radiation in my back? Well. The rays don't just kind of stop here. Yeah. They go through your body. So if you're having a sunburn on your upper back, yeah. that's why. And, and well, I wish I would have known. You know, how many times a day do I hear that? Well, oh. I wish they would have told me that. If only, you know, my post-prostatectomy yeah. folks. Well, if only I would have known that, you know, this would have happened or my penis was not the, quite the same size as it was before. I Absolutely. wish I would have known this. Um, because I, so, I really think yeah. don't you think particularly with the, with the post prostatectomy population so many of them are shocked 
by the level of urinary incontinence after surgery. Yes. Almost always completely unprepared for it. Absolutely. And the fact that, I mean, Dr. Joanne Milios has done an incredible job um, and the research seems so clear, yet I have not seen widespread, uh, you know, taking advantage of the prehab that mm -hmm. we know makes such a difference. You know, if for, for people who have never had to insert a tampon, um, all of a sudden they're asked to isolate a certain muscle without using their external anal sphincter is a completely foreign concept. And and now in a surgically traumatized area. Absolutely, with, with less, yeah. With, yeah. With, with nerve issues, if they've yeah. had, uh, you know, so absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And, and again, they, if you take the, what we were talking about before, and maybe they've been a little bit dissociated from part of it because they've had some, some sexual trauma in the past. Yes. Um, and that hasn't been addressed ever in their life. Absolutely. And I think as well, you know, kind of swinging it back to even a, a female centric lens with hysterectomy, how many women um, have you come across who've had a hysterectomy who think that because they've had a total hysterectomy, that means their ovaries are gone. Oh, Nobody yeah. has actually explained the difference between a total versus partial hysterectomy and how it actually just it refers to your cervix, not to your ovaries. And right. They, they, you know, it's just it's the I don't know. It's almost blasé, isn't it? You know, just that the casualness, I feel that hysterectomies are done with sometimes. Um, we don't know what's, you know, I mean, you know, we 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 talked about this, I think, you know, at CSM, particularly through the lens of endometriosis, you know, we're not sure what's causing your pain. So let's just take everything out and hope right. it goes away. Right, right. I, yeah, yeah. No, it, it's incredibly, um, you know, it, it, with regard to hysterectomies, you know, it's, a, it's, it's a, such a common, you know, uh, surgery that I think, a lot of people, you know, oh, my mother had one, my grandmother had one, almost it's like, it's a genetic thing that's going to have to, it's inevitable for me. Um, and then not understanding why sex is painful um, and not understanding that, you know, that, well, the doctor told me that it wouldn't affect my hormones, but then I, I you know, you can do an internal assessment and we can we know the signs and symptoms of genitourinary syndrome of menopause and we start to acknowledge well you know it does seem to have affected your hormones um on a very local level mm -hmm. um and the fact again that people aren't given this information yes. um i sometimes tell my patients uh, i hate that i'm the expert right now <laughs> and uh, I believe that my patients are incredibly intelligent. I provide them with research studies and I believe that they, you know, a lot of times, unfortunately, especially for my folks in the gender diverse community, they are the ones educating their providers. And yes. I want them to have the research to say, hey, I'm wondering about this, that, and the other. I have this research study. Would you like to see it? Um, and, uh, we need more research when it comes to hysterectomies as well.
uh, and how it impacts pelvic pain. Uh, and even, you know, even before that, I think, you know, I always think, you know, it, it, along the life timeline of, of a human, um, well, what would have, what would it have been like had I seen you five years ago before this? Yeah. Um, what, what could have been done, not necessarily to prevent the hysterectomy, but maybe to help prepare you for, mm-hmm. you know, what's coming or to reduce the, the pain cycle that you've been having for so long. Absolutely. And, and again, just the power of education, of teaching people about their own bodies and how they work, or if there's a problem, you know, what, what could be one of the factors driving the problem that you're having? Because, you know, even with, oh, you know, I mean, we could talk about how 40% of people with endometriosis who do have surgery, you know, appropriately are still going to have ongoing pain because nobody's addressing the central sensitization that comes from Absolutely. years of being gaslit. We could talk about, you know, people who've had hysterectomy um, with an oophorectomy who are waking up in a raging menopause because instead mm-hmm. of this gradual transition, it's like, boom, you know, uh, the ovaries are gone. And nobody's really having that conversation with them about hormone therapy because they're still fixated on the Women's Health Institute study, the faulty one that came out over 20 right. years ago. Right, right. And it's, it's you know, I think this is where we have to kind of walk this fine line, don't we? Because while internally we might be screaming that, you know, <laughs> what you've been told is not true. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, yeah. current research actually shows and here are the papers to prove it and you know some medical colleagues will be completely open to it and some are still frankly stuck in 2002 and mm-hmm. that's with cis females you right know, so you know i can i working with people who are going through gender affirming surgeries that is not my zone of experience or expertise but i can only imagine if this is what's happening to cis females I mean, literally last week, I, I was at the FIFA World Cup in Australia. And Amazing. Six, it was it was fabulous. But, <laughs> but let me tell let me tell you something that may enrage you may take away some of that that joy. <laughs> Only six percent of all the research that's done in sports science is done exclusively on females. Six. Right. Yeah. You know, it's, it, and that reflects in our in our uh, education at to become physical therapist or physiotherapist. I mean, if you look at the studies that we're handed um, and the interventions that were taught, um, I had an amazing education and foundation to physical therapy. And that is not what I'm, I'm not criticizing any one program in, you know, but uh, in general, I think taking a bird's eye view of what is being taught and how are we preparing the next generation of physical and physiotherapists um, must include, must include different bodies because we are working with all humans and every single person assigned female at birth is going to go through menopause. And the Mm -hmm. fact that most people have no idea what happens during menopause and how it affects your joints and your organs 
um, and continents and, you know, muscles. And then with regard to the, you know, people who are in, in my world in the gender diverse community that I work with, you know, people who are starting to take testosterone um, and hormone suppressants, um, how does that affect their joints yeah. and organs? Um, I think it is so important that we start diversifying um, our education. And then, of course, you know, funding is always the name of the game, right? Money. Are we really putting our, our you know, money where our mouths are um, when we talk about all of these things? You know, are we really putting money into pain research thinking about pelvic pain, thinking about female pelvic pain, thinking about our gender diverse community, um, thinking about anti-racism, you know, social determinants of health. I, you know, Dr. Rebecca Seagraves and I put together a draft article, you know, how, you know, there needs to be pelvic PTs and PTs and OTs in the acute care world. Uh, I'm actually, I'm interviewing person. Rebecca in uh, in two weeks. So oh, this, is, this such, will coalesce beautifully. A, a hero. Um, yeah. So um, yeah, I think that it is so important for us to, you know, have more research yeah. and then also just do it even if it's not if the, even if the research isn't there we need to be doing it because it's right it's it's the right thing to do um and uh these are our people these are the people in front of us absolutely and again you know n not that i'm you know i am a bit of a one-trick pony because menopause is just <laughs> a, my soapbox you know this is an issue that's going to affect 50 percent of people on the planet it's not a niche exactly. specialist topic it shouldn't be you know it's it's mm -hmm. really it's something that we all need to know about. And that's why, and this might seem a little tangential, I think the Barbie movie will actually help change things because I think, you know, looking at the financials of it, a lot of money was thrown at that movie, but it's made a lot of money and it's very much a female centric message. Um, you know, I am all about equality, um, from from an activist perspective and I think just to show those different perspectives I think it made a lot of people go huh I never thought of it like that so maybe Barbie will save the world who knows I I hope you're right I hope you're right <laughs> I'm we'll I, Barbie I, the I... menopause movie <laughs> <laughs> oh that would be good that would be so good hot flashes yeah oh that would be amazing don't you that think that would be amazing Yes, yes, I'm all for it. Okay, okay, you heard it here first. <laughs> Noah Goodman, amazing wisdom, unsurprising, because I knew you were going to, to bring um, all of your fabulous insight today. Where can people, can people follow you on social media? Do you indulge in Instagram or Facebook? Or tell us so, a little bit about your um, online presence. Uh, my online presence, so I'm a full-time clinician. So... Um, I will, you know, the, the, um, the frustration, the healthy anger that comes out of my day, um, often appears on uh, Twitter. It's at Noah, D at Noah DPT. Um, and, uh, I'm hoping to, I'm in the process of putting together a few patient centric, um, educational, uh, things. Um, I will be presenting at the um, 
PA Moves uh, Conference for APTA. I'll be at CSM presenting on cystic fibrosis and urinary incontinence for the cardiopalm group. So uh, the research was um, funded generously by the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation. So guess what? Pelvic PT works and I'm going to teach everyone how to basically help people with urge incontinence because it isn't that hard. Um, and uh, yeah, and I'm, I'm hoping to, you know, keep doing research. You'll see maybe a poster presentation at the American Urogynecological uh, Society's group. And then also another uh, abstract is going to be submitted to the Society of uh, Gynecological Surgery. So I'm going to be a little bit everywhere. Busy um, lady. So yeah, there's a lot of fun things. Again, I get to collaborate with amazing people here um, on top of my regular stuff. Um, but um, yeah, I, I, I love it. It's, it's, there's so much work to be done. So, and I'm so honored that the people I work with, uh, I've, I've earned and I hope continue to earn their, their trust. Amazing. Thank you for changing the world. Thank you for like leading the way. Oh. It's just such an honor. No, the, the honestly, the honor is mine. I will see you at CSM um, in Amazing. snowy, freezing Boston in February. Whoa. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to see you there. Um, yes, I will see you there. Thank you so much, Noah, for for everything. And to everybody who's listening, uh, make sure you follow Noah on Twitter. And if you're going to CSM, make sure you check out her presentation there. And I will see you all on the next episode of the Celebrate Mealiarity podcast. Thanks for listening and bye for now. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. If you prefer to watch, all the videos of the interviews will be uploaded onto YouTube. If you'd like to learn more, there's a full suite of online courses on women's health, including courses on female pelvic pain rehab, female hormonal health, oncology rehab, and more. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram, Michelle Lyons underscore for special offers and announcements. Until the next time, celebrate Muleyeverty. Thanks for listening. Bye for now.